altered. And I've worked with kids who have had traffic accidents because they had been high, you know? Right. Um, and uh, yet there are an awful lot of young people who would say like, mm, no, there, there are very limited risks affiliated with this. Drug. And that's, that's kind of a myth that's just kind of taken on a life of its own. Yeah. And a lot of it is based on kids I've worked with, and I've had a thousand and one kids have told me that same thing. Um, and I end up kind of joking with them because a lot of that they base simply on the fact that they got home. Okay, hi folks, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. Um, I'm Dr. John Duffy. I am your host as always. And listen, here at Undo Anxiety, uh, we recognize that we are all suffering more than we need to in some way in some areas of our lives. So the idea is to get together here, talk about it, eliminate some of those taboos, and find some solutions together to decrease the collective anxiety that we suffer by and large unnecessarily. And um, I am thrilled to uh, to have my and, and honored, I think, to have my guest here. Matt Quinn is here. Matt, Thanks. welcome. Thanks for having me. This is great. Matt is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I get any of this wrong, Matt is the Community Relations Coordinator for Rosecrans, which is a treatment organization specializing in substance use disorders, um, a, an organization that I didn't know had been around for more than a century. Yes. Last year, we celebrated our 100-year anniversary. Yeah. yeah. So th this stuff isn't new. No. No. <laughs> right. No. Started as an orphanage and just kind of gradually built from there yeah. out in Rockford. Yeah. So we were talking a minute ago. You've been at this for about 15 years. Yeah. I've been with correct? Rosecrans for two years. Um, prior to that, just a just direct clinical work mm -hmm. for about the last 10 or 15 years prior to that, mostly with with adolescents and young adults. So let's stick with talking about adolescents and young adults by and large, um, because I think that's a, that's my wheelhouse as well. And and uh, and let's see what information we can kind of get out there for our listeners. Um, what are you seeing trends in in drug use, um, substance abuse in the last 10 or 12 years that surprise you? Yeah, you know what's interesting because there's. There's the national study, the Monitoring the Future study, which was done out of the University of Michigan, and that's been going on for 30, 40 years. They've been doing it, I think, since 1970, looking at uh, 8th grade, 10th grade, 12th grade. But then in the state of Illinois, the, is the Illinois Youth Survey, or the IYS, right. which tracks all the data with 8th, 10th, and 12th graders as well. So it's nice to be able to have that comparison of national data versus kind of more localized data. Yeah, I'm and sure it's there's a difference, right, between what happens nationally. There is, but you'd be surprised how many parallels there mm. are as well. Um, and really what we're seeing with with that age, kind of like middle school, high school age, um, there was an increase in a lot of more illicit drugs in the 2007 to 2011 range. Okay. Um, but from about 2011 till about now, there's actually been a steady decrease in use of almost all illicit drugs, including alcohol, cigarettes, uh, a lot of the heavy drugs, um, except one. And we're, yeah, I think we're going to spend a little I, bit of time we'll talk, probably talking hit on about the one. The, Let's the hold one. off on what the one is. Yeah. And, uh, and just, um, I'm uh, guessing most of the people listening You guys already guess. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the trend overall, um, what, what do you make of that? Like, you know, it, we're not for the one. Um, do, do you think, is that good news? Or do you feel like, you know, the one is, uh, ha, has so taken over kind of the, um, the landscape that, that it's not particularly good news? It's not really a decrease. I think it's a little bit of both. I think a lot of communities have done a good job of, and a lot of this, I think, is driven by heroin. 
you know, in the past few years, a heroin has really kind of gotten a lot of attention and justifiably yeah. so. It's become a, a huge problem in, in, in different parts of the country, including in the Chicago area, out, out in the New England area, Ohio. It's, it's it really, really at almost at, at, at epidemic level in it, pockets of the country. Yeah, and I hear that it's in pockets. I remember right. during the uh, presidential campaign learning like, you know, Maine and you know, New Correct. Hampshire, there were yep. these, these Unlikely states, I think, yep. maybe. Yeah, Ohio, I think. right now a lot of attention paid to Ohio. Is that right? Yeah, south, uh, southwest, southeast, Cincinnati uh, area. A lot, a lot of uh, big problems with heroin lately. So I think that's drawn a lot of attention to parents and communities. And so as a result of that, I think you have seen a lot more attention and 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 kids and adults being put into treatment. And because parents are scared, you know, they don't want their kid to to develop a heroin problem right. because it's deadly. Right, um, and so I think that's led to a lot of the decreases in terms of the other other drugs, uh, the gradual decline that we've seen. In, in terms of cigarettes, you know, a lot of that is is taxation, and in terms of uh, uh, lack of tobacco ads now, uh, you know, on TV and in in publications, really a lot of great work has been done with with decreasing uh, tobacco use. It is it is amazing. Our country. Yeah, I've been doing my job for about a quarter century now, twenty five years or so, and. Um, yeah, you know, working with young people, um, there were a lot of smokers, um, you know, when, when I started. And now I feel like there is an absolute taboo affiliated with smoking cigarettes. Correct. There's this e-cig thing. Yeah, the vaping, the vaping. The vaping, thing. right. It's a little bit of a different story. Yeah. There's yeah. a little bit more of an acceptance that's that's coming along with that. So I think that when you talked about replacement, yeah. I think that's has with youth, I think that has replaced a lot of the, the cigarette use. Right, right. It's a different vape. Sometimes they're, they don't even have tobacco in them, some of them. Right. Some of them have low doses, some have higher doses, and they have the, the hookah thing, right. which has become a little bit of a bigger thing. So there has been some backfill with that. Yeah. But I think overall, there's still been a lot of good work uh, that's been done in terms of decreasing uh, tobacco levels. Just on, on the vaping thing, just for a second, I'm yeah. just thinking of questions that parents ask me. And, and parents often ask me, like, is that, does that feel like a gateway to the drug that we're about to, that we're probably, so the drug we're talking about is pot. It's weed, Correct. marijuana, yeah. right? And, um, you know, and, and a lot of parents express concern, like, because the, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's paraphernalia surrounding it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so you go online and you get like the vape pens or the, um, oh, I can't think, the chargers and all Correct. this stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, and there's pieces affiliated with it, right? right? And so yeah. it, it feels, it feels, I think, to a lot of parents like you're doing drugs, you Absolutely. know, like even if you're not, even if you're smoking water vapor, yep. what allegedly is water vapor, I, I don't, I, I loathe the vaping thing, yeah, sure. to be honest. Yeah. I do too. Um, yeah. Yeah, do you? Yeah. Um, but but uh, parents have asked me like, is that is that gonna, you know, a year from now, will my child be cavalier enough about drawing a foreign substance into his or her lungs that that, that pot use is gonna be perfectly acceptable? There's definitely a higher risk with that. Because you think of drug use, you know, in general, what you've seen in movies, there's 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 ritual. Yeah. You know, there's ritual to it. Right. You know, and so when you talk about even a vape device, you know, a lot of them nowadays, the the ones that are tobacco or even the ones that are tobacco lists versus the ones that are marijuana it's getting harder and harder to distinguish not only how they look, but how you use them is the same. So if you have a vape that's just tobacco, that looks the same as one that's marijuana, and the kid has been using one that's tobacco-less or tobacco, and it looks the same, and all of a sudden they're in a situation where they're given one that has marijuana, that fear factor is, it's, it looks the same. So they're gonna think to themselves, okay, well, I heard you know, legalization, all that stuff we're probably gonna talk about, it's not a big deal. Right. You know, the, the 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 fear factor because of the the ritual of the vape use that may have seemed more harmless 
the virtual of that, it's so easy to bridge that gap between that and, and a, particularly a marijuana vaping device because it's so similar. That's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that, that the process is the same, right? And part of this is just the, the ritual, the process. Part of it also, and I'm thinking about, about um, marijuana in particular, is it t feels cultural to me, it, um, in, and, and maybe microcultural in mm -hmm. that, you know, you get these pockets of, of young people, and in my experience, most of them are men, are boys, mm -hmm. um, who uh, kind of love the, the culture of Correct. pot and weed, sure. and knowing, knowing different strains, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of uh, sharing pieces and, and talking about how beautiful this glass piece is, yep. or, you know, how, you right. know, uh, and, and they really get deep into it. It, yeah. becomes, it becomes slowly, and you, you were pointing out how there's this kind of stealth, gradual um, connect, depth into the culture, right? There's this kind of draw into the culture. Mm -hmm. and, um, but I noticed that, like, you know, some, some guys become only about pot at some point in their sure. lives. Yeah. Well, if you think about teenagers in general, how their brains are wired, they're looking for something to identify with. You know, they're trying to form an identity that's, that's separate from their parents and the right. rest of their family. And so when you have something like this, you know, even if it is a sport or a club, kids always tend to over-identify with some, you know, an area of interest when they're sure. teenagers. You know, so that's true of other things too. You know, to I don't want to just make it just about marijuana, but when you talk about something that they start to develop this love for, you know, or, or passion for, naturally they're going to fall in love with the the culture that comes with it. Right. Yeah. Right. No, you're right. I, I, that that's a good point. It's not always a negative thing, right? It can right. be music. It can be sports. It can yeah. be just about anything, right? Correct, right. Um, we're looking to for something to identify with, right? When we're when we're in those years, um, what's your What's your biggest concern about marijuana? Do you have something that's standing? Because you and I were talking before we started about the likelihood, or maybe the uh, inevitability, inevitability, almost. right? Yeah. That 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 this is going to be legal here in Illinois, where we are, and maybe nationwide at right. some point, right? And not right. too distant future. It's certainly looking like that. Yeah, and um, is that you know from where you sit? Doing the work that you do is that is that an enormous concern? Is that good news? How does that feel to you? Yeah, I think so much attention has been paid, especially in the media, to the potential benefits of legalization, particularly mm -hmm. tax revenue. Oh yeah, and especially here in Illinois, correct? Right? Yeah. You know, because of our our budget crisis and, right. and debt and all of those things, and that's a real thing. There would there would be additional tax revenue. Without would, a doubt. That would come from that. Sure. So I think it's important to acknowledge that, yep. that that's a real thing, and that could potentially help our budget. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I feel like that there's not, and that's why I love this this forum and this opportunity, there's not, there hasn't been a lot of attention paid to a recognition of some of the underlying costs that will likely come along alongside those benefits that, yeah. that, that would be kind of incurred through all of this. And, um, and, and those costs are a little more esoteric than the benefits, right? The benefit is fiscal, right? I mean, Correct. it's kind of like this direct kind of like money flowing into the right. state, county, right. uh, you know, municipal funds. Um, what do you see as kind of the big costs around marijuana? Because, yeah. you know, like the argument I hear from a lot, if, if I get a 17-year-old boy in right. my office who's talking about marijuana, he's telling me and his mom and his dad, hey, you should be glad I'm smoking pot because this is a plant. It grows right. in the ground. It's right. organic. It's medicine. It's, safe. Right. it's medicine, right? Mm -hmm. It's way safer than drinking. Right. Um, so downsides. Well, there's a couple things. There's two parts to that. The first part is 
and some of the costs are not as esoteric as you might think, because like we were talking about earlier, uh, marijuana has been legal, legal recreationally in Colorado, Washington, other states long enough now where there's some interesting data, and I would certainly encourage anyone to start looking, looking this up because there's interesting and, and valid studies that are starting to come out from some of these states that look at some of these costs. Yeah. And we're seeing, in, in Colorado in particular, we're seeing increase in uh, emergency room visits related to marijuana, increased traffic accidents, increased, uh, increased youth use. Um, you know, all of these kind of not so, you know, not so popular type of, of costs that are very real. Right. These aren't vague. These aren't you know. These are real. These are real things that will happen here. Yeah. That will be a trade-off to that to that benefit, that main benefit of tax revenue, and and we have to we have to really recognize and, and be willing to to attack that or, or look at that. And somehow we have to be able to talk to our kids about this when they're pretty young now. Like you mm -hmm. you started uh, the very top of this conversation. You said middle schoolers and high schoolers. Right. And I think if you and I were sitting here a generation ago, we'd be starting at high school. We might right. be starting sophomore, junior year, right? right? Right. And now we're really talking about, we could be talking about as early as sixth or seventh grade, Absolutely. maybe, right? Yeah, was, right. Um, yeah. And so I think we have to be able to talk about, you know, some of those costs because I, I hear a lot of kids say things like, you know, uh, um, I drive better when I'm high, right. you know? Sure. Um, not recognizing, I, I read this great study 10 years ago that sticks with me, um, effectively they had, um, on a closed course, they had some kids driving high mm -hmm. and some kids driving um, where they were unimpaired altogether. And the reaction time from the gas pedal to the brake, mm -hmm. it, there's this split second where you know you can't get to it. You're just not fast enough. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, there goes the kid with the ball, you know, and, um, and somebody's somebody's died or somebody's been hurt. And I've worked with kids who have had traffic accidents because they had been high, you know? Right. Um, and uh, yet there are an awful lot of young people who would say like, mm, no, there, there are very limited risks affiliated with this. Drug. And that's, that's kind of a myth that's just kind of taken on a life of its own. Yeah. And a lot of it is based on kids I've worked with, and I've had a thousand and one kids have told me that same thing. Um, and I end up kind of joking with them because a lot of that they base simply on the fact that they got home, right? You know, so, right. They, so therefore it's safe. <laughs> yes, right. Because they got home, that means it's safe. You know, because <laughs> they didn't get point. in an accident. Right. But if you look at a lot of it, want, people want to compare it to drinking and driving, right? Yes, always. And when you drink and drive, it's a little. It, it is. It's different. You know, from what I've read in terms of studies and what I've heard, you know, anecdotally. Sure. People that are drinking and driving do tend to drive a little more aggressively, mm -hmm. faster, a yeah. little more recklessly. You don't necessarily see that with people that are using marijuana, but you see other things that could be just as dangerous. You see slower reaction time. You see where they're driving. They could be driving 10, 15 miles under the speed limit on the highway. You know, <laughs> really good. I know point. that's stereotypical, yeah, but, it's, no, but, but that could be just as dangerous. Sure. You know, I know when I'm when I'm driving on the highway and there's somebody that's driving really slow in the right lane. I always say to myself, that could be just as dangerous because all it takes is somebody not paying attention. It's a good point. You know, and they're going to get rear-ended. Right. And peripheral vision. There's all kinds of studies that re reduces peripheral vision, but you don't see that traditional aggressive driving. Right, right, right. That you'll see with with alcohol. So that, that I think, is part of that myth is that, like, well, I drive really carefully. Well, yeah, but there's, 
you know, you're not driving how you would normally drive. No, and, and you're, other people, and you're impaired, right? When, I mean, that's one thing you don't recognize. Right. Everybody driving, we all depend on other people. There's a system to it, right? That we're all driving at a certain pace, you know, maybe for some of us, five five to 10 miles over right. the speed limit, right? You know, that, that there's a flow to that. Yeah. And just because you're not driving recklessly, you could be driving t- almost too uh, carefully, where right. you're going to throw off that that kind of flow and pace in a way that could be similarly dangerous, if that makes sense. It, it makes perfect sense. Um, and uh, to just stretch that analogy a little bit, it also disrupts the flow of a, of a household. Um, you know, uh, I work with a lot of families who are in distress because of this issue, you know, and um, and I would imagine that that's what sometimes brings families to Rosecrans. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so the second part of that I want to mention, just in terms of, you know, what I've seen and yeah. some of the, is with, with youth in particular, there isn't a lot of attention that's paid to the research that's out there on brain development. So I'd, I'd feel remiss if we didn't talk Please, about yeah, that. Please, yeah, yeah, that's something we, we have to talk about. Yeah, right? because yeah. there's all, every, every couple months there's a new research study that comes out, you know, from, from prestigious universities. There was, there was one where Harvard University, a couple years ago, where Harvard University linked with Northwestern. Uh, great study on, on looking at the brain scans of kids that use normally versus those that don't and just significant differences in terms of specific regions of the brain, the amygdala, nucleus accumbens, um, uh, hippocampus, uh, all these areas that are really important, responsible for for mood and anxiety regulation, memory, um, uh, motivation, kind of that reward center. Mm -hmm. And so when I first saw that study in particular, it kind of blew me away. In terms of, and we're talking about the actual physical body, these physical bodies where they're smaller, they're misshapen, they're less dense. It really blew me away because in the, my 15 years of work, the symptoms that I've seen with teens and young adults that are using marijuana regularly match perfectly. Is that right? With what the brain research is telling us. Yeah. Lower motivation, laziness, um, and mood and anxiety regulation. And we could talk about that, the idea of young people using anxiety f- as, as medicine and how that actually backfires in the long run. That's a yeah, whole I think other, we'll get that's there, a whole yeah. other topic, yeah. you know, impact on memory. So ever since I saw that study, I, I felt like it be, it's become kind of my mission to kind of get accurate information out there to parents, whoever's listening, that this really does have a particularly damaging impact on teens and young adults um, more than people realize because that's a criti- that's still a critical period of brain development. Yeah, that, I think people that 14 forget to that. 25. Well, people forget it because the the actual size of your brain it's your brain's not getting any bigger. Right. But there's all kinds of pruning and rewiring and all kinds of fine tuning. It's almost kind of like a, a house that's built and you you know it, it looks like it's done from the outside and, you know and you think oh it's close but then you you drive by and you kind of look through and you see plywood you see you know there's there's no counters there's no floors that's the adolescent brain where the the, the outside of the house is looking good but there's still a lot going on inside up until now they're saying with males almost 30 which you know for a lot of females out there makes sense right <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> Probably, you know, but even yes. for but even for for females it's still you know mid-20s yeah um and so that's really what i see and that's you're not hearing about that right right all you're hearing about is uh, medicine and legalization and, and tax revenue there's not enough uh, information out there, it's not getting widespread enough, this information of, the, of these costs. Uh, and just at first making people aware of these costs, and then we can look at 
how we're going to manage those costs. Right, right. But first, to me, first and foremost, we got to make as many people aware of what those costs are. And that there um, are some costs. I correct. mean, I think that the, the, that might be a surprise to some people listening is correct. like, oh, yeah, there are, these costs are real. And, you know, right. and, and that brain still is developing. There's still those cabinets are not in yet. Absolutely. And so for us, you know, having done this work, it's easy, I think, to point this out. But we always have to step back and look at parents don't haven't done the work we've done. You know, right. they don't they don't get to see that the, the teen after teen after teen after teen that we've seen it. And when you see the same pattern, and I'm sure you've seen this, the same pattern of symptoms, you know, over and over and over again, you start to realize that there's really something to this. The consistency in symptoms is um, striking. I mean, you know, it makes it easy to talk about in a way relative to a lot of mental and emotional issues that I deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll play with a couple of those. Sure. Um, you probably have heard more than once the thought, you know, Mr. Quinn, I'm an anxious guy, and when I smoke weed, uh, it helps. It, it alleviates my anxiety. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, and and I've gotten that a thousand times. You know, sure. this is better than uh, even kids who abuse Xanax would argue. You know, some of them that you know, like uh, it's not that it's not physically addictive, sure. and it's going to alleviate my anxiety. So why not? And here's the you know the long-standing joke in, in AA, NA, and the recovery community is that drugs work. <laughs> right. You know, there's a, there's, there's a reason why people take them, right? Right. Now, that I, I won't be misleading with that. The reason I say that, though, is because there is that illusion of temporary relief mm-hmm. that does come with a drug like marijuana. Absolutely. Certainly Xanax and other drugs. Yeah. Where we can't just say that they, they just, they don't do anything. They right. do. Right. They, for a lot of, for a lot of maybe teens, young adults, they, they may provide that temporary anxiety relief where they can they can kind of exhale for a minute and it feels good. It's why you take it in the first place, Correct. right? It's why anybody exactly. experiments with it, right? Right. But the downside of that, back to that brain development piece, if they're using it regularly, you know, over time, that, that particularly that amygdala, that's the kind of that core mood mood and anxiety center of your brain. Tiny little portion of the brain. It's like and a pea, yet, I think it's pea, just a little pea yep, size. Yep, a pea size, and yet, yet really controls right. the vast majority of our emotional regulation. It's a really right. an impressive little piece of, you know, uh, engineering feet in the brain yeah so what you see is and there's again there's all all kinds of good research out there with this too is that teenagers that use marijuana regularly i don't know the exact number Mm -hmm. uh, but they're much more at risk for an anxiety disorder in their in young adulthood in their 20s and 30s generalized anxiety panic disorder all Mm -hmm. those types of things yep it's statistically significant and again it matches perfectly with the the brain research because that amygdala has been hijacked and it hasn't had a chance to develop naturally. But again, there's that illusion. And that's what gets that's what gets kids, is that illusion. I don't want to say the illusion because they actually do feel the relief. Right. But the illusion that it's helping them overall. Yeah. In the long run, that it's that it's medicine, that it's helping them in the long run. That's the illusion. This is probably an important uh, point to really uh, punctuate here and, and be really clear about because um, as you were saying earlier, and I've run into this before, um, somebody who is anxious and, and smokes pot because they're anxious, the it's almost like a hair of the dog thing where you, you, you keep smoking mm-hmm. and your anxiety level 
tends to, over time, increase, not decrease. And that's the general true with, uh, the rule with any drug. You know, right. Where the, the withdrawal symptoms are kind of the opposite of whatever the drug is. Right. In other words, if it's a depressant, marijuana is kind of more of a depressant than anything else. Yeah. The withdrawal is going to be the upswing, which is going to be tension, anxiety, right? Right. Whereas with stimulants, cocaine, uh, uh, caffeine, those types of things, ask anybody that drinks a lot of coffee if they don't get their coffee in the morning. It's like their brain is in mud. They are down. They're, you know, they, they can't think straight. They're just, their energy's low. So it's the opposite of right. the effect of the drug. So when you have somebody using depressants like marijuana, over time, if they use them regularly, and again, you'll see it, where that withdrawal, that, that difficult, that's the other thing I hear, is that there's no withdrawal from marijuana. Right. That's incorrect. It's, it's not as pronounced uh -huh. as other drugs, but absolutely, there's, ask anybody that, that's used marijuana regularly, which I've asked many, many people, and they'll tell you when they stop, difficulty sleeping. You know, mm -hmm. a difficulty with falling or staying asleep. Spike uh, in anxiety, maybe? Irritability. Mm -hmm. anxi that's, the, that's what I was going to mention is that they're, they're edgy. Yeah. They're irritable, and that's the hair of the dog. In other words, they, then it's like, well, okay, now I, I'll take, i got to take my medicine because I'm feeling anxious. And so the higher the withdrawal, they, the more the, and that's the addiction. The, the withdrawal goes way up, and they feel more and more of a craving and a need to take that drug in it. But then again, after time, then it's just baseline that they're feeling. Got it. You know, they're yep. just using to feel that baseline. And you hear that all the time for people that use heroin. It's, you know, 80%, 90% of them are using just to feel normal, just to, just, just, to maintain. To, just to avoid the withdrawal, Yeah, where it's not even about the getting high anymore. And, and, that, and people don't realize how much of how, how prevalent that is with with people that are using that that it's not about the high anymore it's just about just simply avoiding that that nasty withdrawal that seems to be the harsh thing about uh getting too deep into any drug you mm -hmm. know is is the fact that you know really the that that narcotic effect of that high or that ease of anxiety um that's only going to carry you for a period of time, and then mm -hmm. you're you're in avoidance mode, right? Correct, then yeah. you're you know, um, and that's even that's true of tobacco. Absolutely. You know, there's there's a bank across the street from here, and then in the middle of the winter, there are these three men who will huddle. You know, maybe they started smoking because they thought it was cool, um, but they will huddle up when it's ten below and mm -hmm. and and get to smoke their cigarettes about once an hour, and I know that they. Do it because they feel like they need to. They're trying to avoid the feeling of that that craving and that irritability they'd have um, if they were if they were lacking that. Yep. So that's that's probably an analogy that's sweeping. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, um, well, I guess I want to ask ask about. So we we talked about marijuana quite a bit. The other thing I see in young people, and we talk about a lot about in young people, is drinking, binge drinking. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and and where the line is between ah, I'm a normal teenager, young adult, and I'm just um, experimenting or I go to parties on the weekend yeah. and, oh, I've got a problem. I should probably reach out to a Matt Quinn or somebody at Rosecrans. Yeah, absolutely. I think really with any with any use, and this is a common misconception, so I'm glad I'm, I'm bringing it up, is that there's this idea that addiction is about regularity of use. But really it's much more so about when you when you start how how much do you use in that instance, that yeah. day, in that period of time? Right, right. Because there's a lot of people I worked with that consider them, themselves addicts, and I agree, uh, alcoholics, whatever the drug is, sure. where they don't use months, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at all. And people would say, well, that's not an alcoholic. That's not somebody who's addicted. Right. They're functioning four or five days a week, but when, right? when they, you know, the, the expression in the AA is one's too many, a thousand's not enough, meaning mm -hmm. that 
once you take that one, what happens? Right. You know, there's the, you know, with alcohol, there's the idea of social drinker tolerance, right? Most people that are social drinkers, uh, maybe not so much in college, and we could talk about that in terms of the culture of college and binge drinking. That's, that's maybe a whole separate podcast. You may, but, you may have um, to spend some time yeah, elsewhere on but, that, right? you know, that social drinker tolerance is generally between two, three, four drinks. People that don't have a problem with alcohol, that's usually what they're drinking, 90% of the population. That's and at three or four, they can call it. Correct. Yeah. They've gotten that relaxing effect. Maybe they feel a little more social. Whatever they're looking for, Right. they, they get that effect. 90% are, are in that range. So what's more important to look at is when you take that one, does that lead to that two, three, four, cut it off? Or does that lead to that 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 15? That's a much better distinction or a much better thing to look at versus that misconception of everyday, you know, everyday use mm-hmm. uh, as being kind of the, the, uh, the issue. And that is, that, right, that, that is a little differently than I think most of us think about, um, you know, uh, real problems with drugs is, is you know, um, right, we think it's got to be consistent and constant. And, and, and certainly be, that can be the case. Sure. Don't get me wrong. With with people that are addicted to particularly heavier drugs, they are using them daily, regularly, every other day because they want to avoid that withdrawal. Right. So, I mean, I don't want to get the, give you the wrong idea, but that's that's not the only type. There's different type of addictions. There's right. different types of alcoholisms. Yeah. Um, and it's important to recognize the, that. I, um, I sometimes worry in this whole sphere you know, I, I kind of want to speak to parents for a moment here, right? Um, and I worry about one of two things. Either, um, and, and parents are, you know, I, I've yet to meet the ill-intentioned parent, you know? Sure. <laughs> I think everyone wants the best for their kid and mm-hmm. is working hard to find that. So I find that either parents have their head in the sand about, you know, like, you know, ah, these it's kids and they're experimenting, it's no big deal, mm-hmm. or... Um, or they, they overcorrect and, you know, and, and anything is a crisis. You know, mm-hmm. the use of anything, experimenting with anything. Right. Um, I, I, it might be a, an unfair question to ask you, but, you know, like what kind of a guideline do we give parents given the um, kind of complicated landscape of drug use these days? Sure. Yeah, I think certainly I don't want to compare apples to oranges. So a lot of this would relate to the age yeah. of, the, of the, you know, if you have... Uh, a 20-year-old, bordering on 21-year-old, you know, is coming home from college and, and, and you see that they're drinking a beer, you're going to certainly handle that differently than catching your, you know, 11 or 12-year-old smoking pot or drinking. Fair enough. Right. So of I think, course. you know, I think, and th- there's a continuum within that for sure. Yeah. But I'm sure you've seen this, all, all the research shows that, you know, at markers of 13, 15, 16, 17, the earlier you start with any drug, alcohol, marijuana, whatever, the the rates or the likelihood of addiction or alcoholism, whatever the drug is, uh, are higher the younger you get. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that is that hijacking of the brain. Right, right, right. But generally speaking, with, with parents that I've talked to, you know, middle school, high school age, um, I certainly recommend more, if they're going to err more toward one side or the other, certainly erring more toward the zero tolerance end. Sure. Um, because you never you never know what that can, you know, I've been to, to a, you know, a whole bunch of different heroin, you know, at different schools where they have speakers that come to the school, a parent that's maybe lost a loved one, and yeah. unfortunately, that t- and almost always as part of that story is when they're talking about Johnny or, you know, where when they were 12, 13, 14, it, they weren't doing heroin. Right. They were 
starting to drink. They were starting to use marijuana. There was there's alcoholism in the family. They were diagnosed with ADHD. There was some there was some emotional abuse from a parent. Where there was that perfect cocktail. Yeah. And so so that situation, if I'm sitting with a parent where there's that perfect storm, you certainly want to kind of endorse more of a zero tolerance. Let's nip this in the bud type of approach versus a 20 going on 21 year old. You know what I mean? So where it really it feels has, like we're we're approaching something like normal. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and. I, I've also sat across from parents who, you know, kind of are, are so afraid to talk about this whole issue with their kids because mm-hmm. they think, like, just bringing up the subject of drugs and alcohol, there's some kind of tacit, you know, um, <laughs> permission right. built into that. And um, and I suspect you're going to agree with me. I usually encourage parents at a pretty young age mm-hmm. um, to start those conversations and let them be ongoing you know and and talk to talk to kids about like kind of the culture at their school and yeah. and uh, you know and with their friends and what's going on and you know uh, if that's not happening i think we could you could run into trouble and lose them not have your voice be in the mix absolutely it's kind of it's similar to to suicide you know which is a big topic these days yeah um is i think sometimes parents make the mistake of thinking if they start if they have concerns about depression if they ask their kid if they've had any types of thoughts like that, that somehow it would, it, it will plant that idea, um, that there's no evidence that I've seen that, that that's true, either either research or from my experience that that plants that seed. Right. And I think the same is true with, with a middle schooler, or, you know, early high schooler that hasn't used, a parent bringing that up, I haven't seen any evidence that that plants a seed, you know, for, yeah. f- for further use. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if anything, and I always, I always tell parents this, if they're if they don't want to if they're uncomfortable directly addressing that with with their middle schooler with their high schooler, uh, a great way to start to get a pulse check on that is just to ask about their friends and just say, hey, have, have you noticed any of their your friends try trying alcohol, trying marijuana? You know, you don't have to give me names, but are you noticing it? Because kids are a little bit more willing to maybe talk about that than talk about some of their own experience with that. Yeah. You know, and just to start to, you know, or, hey, have you, do you notice any kids your age? Be, be kind of vague, you know, that circle around them. Yes. And use that as kind of a litmus test and a way to, to kind of dip their toe in the water with that instead of saying, hey, have you, have you used any drugs? It's most kids are going to kind of get defensive and, and not be welcoming of that type of, uh, whether they've used or not, they're going to kind of feel a little bit put off, I think, by that approach. I cannot support that thought enough. You know, um, I think the minute you make it kind of accusatory and your agenda is abundantly clear that this is about you and the, the possibility that you've used something and you're trying to trap your kid, mm-hmm. kids are savvy, right? And they're, they'll smell that a mile away and, and they will take a step back from you. Sure. But if you... But if you're talking about you know the culture around them and their friends and stuff, kids are pretty are surprisingly open. I think more open than my generation was anyway. You know about about this kind of thing. Yeah, and, and, the, and you know I always tell people the car for something. There's something great. You know, I did a, 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 a mentoring program for a couple of years when when I was younger, and a lot of the the job revolved around driving. It was at risk youth, but I had, I was lucky. I was able to kind of drive them to take them bowling or do different fun activities. And the best conversations I always had. <laughs> were when they were sitting next to me or behind me in the car yeah because there's something disarming about not ha- you know not facing someone directly right um 
that can that can be a great opportunity to talk about about those kinds of things, especially if they're already kind of a little chatty or you know teenagers are very they tend to be very closed off with their parents. Right. Sure. And so it's not easy. So parents need to try to take advantage of those take, take advantage of those opportunities. And and like um, you know I often encourage parents like you know whether if if drugs or drinking come up in music or in a TV show or a movie that you're watching. Give it a pause and say and say you know hey are you running into this kind of thing like exactly. what are you seeing out there right, right? you know like and, you make... and not saying you know have you done this right because right. I, think, <laughs> I think a lot of parents they're they're not necessarily skillful at that discussion but what you just said is perfect like mm-hmm. hey have you heard of this yeah you know, right have you heard of this have you know have you heard of anybody using this you know try to start kind of far. And then gradually start to pull it back home, and and recognize that you might not get everything in that in the next two minutes, right? Correct. You know, this is an ongoing thing, and you might have to bring it up five times before you really get anything that you can use and that you really feel like, you know, okay, I think I get the lay of the land here, sure. right? Yeah, let it be ongoing. Yeah. Um, there, there's a thought I feel compelled to throw out here that you uh, you can you can comment on or you you can forego comment on. Um, uh, I read recently uh, a theory. I don't think this was based in science. I think this was uh, just a theory that the opposite of addiction is connection. Um, the idea being that um, if you've got people in your life, if you've got activity in your life, if you are um, busy and and you've got mission, that somehow that doesn't that that doesn't assure that you won't run into any problem with any substance but it it comes closer to inoculating you than being disconnected and um and in my experience and then uh, you can speak to yours and and if you uh, choose to forego that that's fine in my experience if i get a kid across from me and i can get him involved in a sport or a club or a play or you know, um or uh something where there are peer there's peer involvement if they can get deeply more deeply involved in school and acting on their own behalf mm-hmm. um or in the family um then i think if at the at the very least, I think we might buy ourselves some time before things start, mm-hmm. um, drug-wise and and and, and experiment-wise. But um, but I find that there, just in my um, limited sampling of of young people, that the more connected they are, and frankly, the busier they are, not without being overly busy and hyper crowded um, in their in their schedule, which is a whole nother podcast. It is right. <laughs> yeah, um, that if there's something, if they have a thing, then then they may they they may connect to that thing more than they would connect to the culture around a drug. Um, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's a there's a couple different parts of that that I'd like to mention. Uh, one briefly is the, is the keeping busy part. Because a lot of the kids that I've worked with that do get themselves into trouble aren't necessarily the one. It does happen, but they are in the minority, the kids that are in the clubs, that are in the sports, that are busy with those types of things. Simply put, during the school year, they're going to school, they're doing their sports, they're coming home, they're doing, you know, aside from the weekend, which a lot of times nowadays is still filled with those sports, those clubs, there's just not the time to find that type of trouble. Right. Which is hugely beneficial. Oh, it is. Having Um, an exhausted kid is underrated. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. But then the side, you know, I'm a big, you know, relational type of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're talking about kind of philosophical approaches to therapy. It's a big style of mine. Yes. You know, big in connection to my personal life too. Just it's so fulfilling to be connected with family, connected with friends. That's what it's a it's it's a kind of a magical, you know, elixir of sorts. Right, know? right. Um, but aside from that, um, I think kids feel connection to other kids, you know, in the same way and it, it feels fulfilling. 
whether it's through sports, whether it's through it's through clubs, you know, whatever the case may be. One thing I did want to mention is, you know, being being an organization that does endorse the twelve step model, AA NA, you know, because it, it's gone back, it goes back to all the way to nineteen thirty five, and it's it, it it's really something that I've seen just work almost better than any other intervention when it comes to significant substance use is, is, that, is that connection. And why does it work, right? You could talk about the steps and the spirituality and those elements, which I think are important. But to me, at the core of it, it's a connection. It's a connection to your sponsor. It's connection to other people that are sitting in that meeting with you. You know, it's the same principle. Why does it work? It's because that connection is starting to replace the drug. You know, and, and, the, and the fulfillment that comes with that connection is starting to replace that drug. So I, I completely agree with you. I am, um, I'm almost tearing up because I, I, I feel uh, compelled to share very briefly a story. Um, uh, and then we'll, I'll be, I'll be brief. But my, um, my father, was in AA. Um, he was a friend of Bill W. From the time he was 34 years old, so the last half of his life, he never took a drink. I, and I was born on his third anniversary. So on my birthday, Dad would get a cake. I always wondered, like, why does Dad get a cake? Now I realize. He deserved the cake more than I did. Yeah. But in any event, um, the meetings um, were so um, connecting for him. He, he loved them. I, mean, I remember distinctly his uh, 25th anniversary. There was a party. There were, this is a party where nobody's drinking <laughs> at all. Mm -hmm. there, there are no drugs anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it was the, one of the most joyful experiences. And I just watched him. And he was... Fulfilled. He was fulfilled and connected. Um, and so part, I guess I want to point out that, you know, like if you find that um, the 12-step program is what you need in your life and you think like, oh, no, I'm never going to have any fun. Nothing's ever going to feel normal again. That I, I can say from experience and I witnessed this for, you know, uh, uh, the better part of my last half of my father's life that, you know, um, I've never seen a man more connected. When I was when I was a kid, he and I went to buy a car. And, um, and I was ready to walk out of this Pontiac dealership, but a guy had uh, a 12-step coin on his desk and he was sober for a year. I drove, I drove a Firebird off the lot because, <laughs> because my dad was like, so he was like, you know, oh, let's talk about how, how did you get sober and what was your, what's your story? And, and they connected through this and, you know, and effectively there was no way he was going to let me walk out of there without buying a car. It was, uh, so I, I guess I, I want to point out that, you know, I hear so many people who get fearful about not using, like, you know, well, what am I going to do? Um, and as a person uh, myself who's never, um, I've never had a drink, I've never smoked in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and you can have a very fulfilling life without some of this stuff too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of the most energetic, excited, enthusiastic people are people that I've met in recovery. Yeah. And that goes to show, but I get it with, with young people because so much of their identity at that point, if, if they're at the point where a young person needs AA or NA, so much of their identity is wrapped up around that that it's natural to think that. I totally oh, get it. Yeah. But I always tell them, you don't know what you don't know. Right. You know, all, all, you, all, all you could do is try it. You know, right. tr try it, you know, go to one, go yep. to 10, try it for a month, try it, for, you know, step by, just give it a try. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, try something. That's what you want to appeal to is that their, their, their desire to, for new experiences. And a lot of times at that point, they've already kind of gotten dull with their use and that habit that you can kind of spin it around with them and try say, something new. Stop. Try using. something new and exciting. Try it for a little bit. This is this will be something new for you. And there's always that. that there's always that appeal of new. 
And at that point, they're, they may be more willing because at that point, living that type of sober life or a recovery life is new for them. That's a brilliant thought. Yeah. I never really it thought about that. doesn't always work. I wish it worked every time. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, there's the, if the drugs weren't enticing, you know, it wouldn't be an issue, right? I mean, uh, so in terms of the message that you would want parents and young people to hear who are, who are you know, within range of our voices, are we missing anything? Is there anything important in the message you want out there that we haven't touched on? I would just say be aware of your risk factors because the reality of it is is that most people that drink, um, most people even probably that use other drugs, uh, particularly alcohol, I'd rather focus on that, but 90% of people that drink do it in a way where it's, it's not really a major problem for them. And so it's important to recognize that you have to evaluate, particularly with younger people, you really have to be honest and evaluate those risk factors and look at that family history because genetics plays such a big role in developing an alcohol or, or drug use problem. You have to look at mental health history. There's direct links that have been shown with uh, depression diagnoses, uh, anxiety diagnoses, ADHD, other diagnoses in childhood or early adolescence that link with it. If there's, yeah. if there's been a history of verbal, emotional, if there's been abuse, high correlation. So if you have a kid where it's, there's no family history and they, haven't, they don't have those other risk factors, certainly it should still be a point of discussion um, just in terms of the brain development, because if they're using, they're still going to impact their brain in a negative way. Yes. But when you're talking about addiction, that, that kid that doesn't have those risk factors, even if they start drinking, they start, you know, they, they very well may grow out of it. But the one with the risk factors, that's at Rosecrans, and for me, that, that, those are really the ones, that, the, the kids and the young people that we're really looking at, because they're the ones that have triggered that, that you know, what they call in recovery, that allergy, you know, right, that, right. that allergy to alcohol or other drugs, where they can't just take one, you know, they can't just take one. It becomes, it becomes this whole other almost uh, power, you know, the powerlessness, the step one idea, you yeah. know, where it just becomes its own thing yeah. that, that the other 90% of the population can't, they just can't relate to, you right. know, and that's where that, that kind of myth or that misconception of it being a weak will or, you know, a character, you know, characterological issue. It's easy to see it that way. If, if you can have two drinks and stuff, right. You right. know, it's, it, it's, it, you, you just can't relate to that, to see, to seeing in that or, or that mentality. So that combined with making sure parents have accurate information about, about what marijuana and other drugs and alcohol. I don't want to let alcohol off the hook. Alcohol no, right. has a huge impact on brain development with teens. We haven't talked about that. You know no. that 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 has a big effect. Slightly different parts of the brain, um, but that you know any any adolescent use is going to really imp impact brain development and also increase risk for for addiction the earlier earlier that use takes place. So. I mean that's that's really the the main things I would I would promote is people getting getting accurate information yep. and not just what's culturally put culturally put out there legislation legalization this just kind of our, our media in general is very kind of light on marijuana right I'm not, I'm, I don't want to say it's 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 as bad as other you know not all drugs are created equal I get that I don't want right. to I don't want to make it to come off like heroin but but it's kind of gone to the other extreme where people are seeing it as, as complete almost completely harmless yeah. and that's just not the case right right yeah. Matt that that is invaluable information and this is the, um, a whole area that I really haven't touched on in this in this podcast. So I cannot thank you enough for being here today. Yeah, you're welcome. Sure. So um, 
So I've got uh, I've got a kid who I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. um, how do I get in touch with Rosecrans? Um, tell me a little bit about you know what what my steps are. In yeah, order absolutely. To get to I you. appreciate that opportunity. Sure. Um, so we have we have offices throughout the Chicagoland area. We have one right down the street from your office here, right in, in Lagrange, one of our newer offices. Uh, we are Rockford based. That's where a lot of our services started. Um, so that's where our kind of core, our inpatient level, adolescent and, uh, and adult inpatient level services are. And if people know about us, that's a lot of what they know of. But, yes. but we've expanded in terms of outpatient services in LaGrange, Northbrook, Frankfurt, Naperville, up in McHenry County. Um, we just opened up an adult recovery home down in Lakeview, down in the city, a beautiful 30-bed recovery home for adults that might need placement for three months, six months, nine months for their substance use. Oh, no kidding. Um, so we have, we have services uh, all throughout the Chicagoland area, even now out, out in Iowa, down in Champaign, uh, up in the, in the Milwaukee area. Um, so we have a lot of outpatient presence as well uh, in the Chicagoland area, aside from just those inpatient services in Rockford. But in terms of your, your immediate question, uh, we have what's called our access department or our intake department, which is just 815-391-1000. Uh, that's the number for where anybody can start to access services. Uh, if they want to reach out to me directly, since I'm in community relations, they could do that. I could give out my email address. Uh, it's just mquinn at rosecrans.org. So that's M-Q-U-I-N-N -N at R-O-S-E-C-R-A-N-C-E dot org. So any adolescent 12 and up, uh, any adult with struggling with substance use uh, issues in particular. Uh, we've also expanded, we're starting to expand a little bit into mental health too. I'd like to mention we, we just recently opened um, an adolescent boys unit and girls unit out at our Rockford facility for more primary mental health issues to cover a little bit more of a broad spectrum of uh, depression issues, anxiety issues, other uh, significant issues, um, which I really like because uh, for a long time we would refer to other agencies uh, for that for that level when it comes to more significant mental health issues. And I like now that we could cover because there's such an overlap oh, yeah. in terms Dual of substance use, correct? Are so right. So we're, we're really excited. Just in the past couple of weeks, that we started up these two uh, these two units at our inpatient facility in Rockford for more of the severe uh, mental health symptoms as well. So invaluable resources. No downside if you're worried in free assessment. Free you know, assessment, free assessment right? at any of our locations. Um, usually, we could get people in within just a, a day or two, or do a phone assessment if they're not near any any of our our satellite uh, offices. We can we can make it happen however we need to. Okay, that is um, Matt Quinn from Rosecrans giving us such great information, and I suspect you and I need to sit down again because uh, there's other eight other different, topics. <laughs> there, there are a lot of legs to this, right? Mm -hmm. um, okay, folks. So we will get back to this at some point, but for now, uh, this is the Undo Anxiety Podcast, um, and I so appreciate you taking the time to listen you can find us on itunes podbean stitcher and wgn plus um, as always i appreciate you protecting some time uh, to give us a listen if you have any thoughts questions comments or concerns you can write me at john g duffy at drjohnduffy.com that's it for now have a great day i'll talk to you next time bye-bye